0: Ladies. Wow, what a very full lesson, wasn't it? So much going on in this lesson. So I call this lesson the cost of autonomy. There is probably no more pathetic or more dysfunctional family (laughs) in Genesis than that of Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau. This is a lesson about deception and the attempted autonomy in one's life in order to get the desired results, while being blind to the fact that the Lord is going to have his way in the end anyway. There's two ways we can look at this story. One extreme is to condemn the characters entirely without any recognition of their better motives or to excuse them at the expense of true morality. And what I mean by that is that we may be tempted to overlook the sin of those who are seeking to fulfill God's purpose, as Rebecca was, but in her own way. But in doing so, we could overlook God's holy law minimizing our own sense of truth and morality. So what I see in this lesson is that the characters in the story are much like us. No matter how much we try to take control of our lives, the sovereign will of God will be done in spite of anyone's opposition to it. I think this story makes that pretty clear. Let's look at the characters in the story. Isaac, first of all, Isaac is old. In the story, he's 137 years old, the same age his brother Ishmael was when he died. Now Isaac appears to be dying in the story, but he actually lived another 43 more years to the age of 180. Yet he is in bed blind in more ways than one. His spiritual edge has dulled. He is complaining of his impending death. And he's willfully trying to pass on the much-coveted blessing to Esau, his favorite son, in spite of God's prior declaration that the blessing should go to Jacob. Now Rachel was scheming, but so was Isaac. Some say that Isaac's appetite for game that he shared with Esau, and partly accounts for his love for Esau, clouded his judgment. Basically, he was thinking with his stomach indifferent to Esau's wickedness. Also, the fact that Jacob had manipulated Esau to sell his birthright to him was a long-standing source of irritation to Jacob, or excuse me to Isaac, it must have been. and undoubtedly a source of contention with his strong-willed wife, Rebecca. So even though Isaac had married two Hittite women who made his and Rachel's life miserable, Isaac was still determined to give Esau the firstborn's blessing. Isaac adored Esau, so he became a victim of irony. He tries to thwart God's plans, but his very own deception is also thwarted by the deceit of Rebekah and Jacob. He bestows the blessing on Jacob, thinking he's giving it to Isaac, and his blessing is so great that he has nothing left for his favorite son. That's a bad day for Isaac. But Isaac's real problem was his defiance of the will of God. Some commentators have said that maybe Isaac just forgot what God said to Rebecca 77 years earlier. Yes, Jacob is 77 years old in this story. That really struck me. I thought, boy, what a mama's boy. He still lives at home, I don't know. But if he had forgotten, you can be sure that Rebecca would have reminded him. And the very fact that he was trying to give his blessing secretly shows that he knew very well what he was doing. At this stage, Isaac is like many in our day who think that they can defy God successfully. He's willing to ignore God's word and the desires of his wife and his elect son, Jacob, who now had the birthright in order to bless his immoral son. So Isaac basically throws a grenade in the tent of his family, and because of his sin, the whole family is destroyed. Sin has consequences, sometimes very long-standing and generational consequences. Now, as for Rebecca, tent walls hide nothing, especially when there's discord. What happens when people get old? They not only lose their vision, but what else goes? They're hearing! And how do people talk when they're hard of hearing? Loud! <laughs> right? So Isaac's volume had probably been kicked up a notch or two over the years, and as soon as Rebecca overheard Isaac his order to Esau to go out and hunt game and prepare a savory dish so that he could bless him, Well, she kicks things, Rebecca kicks things, into high gear. Now, a home usually takes its personality and chief characteristics from the mother. Wouldn't you agree? We talked about this in our group. Would you ladies agree? She sets the tone for the home. Have you ever heard the saying, the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world? I'd say that's true as a general rule. Well, in this case, the mood of distrust must trace back to Rebekah. Have you noticed that nobody in this house trusted anyone else? Isaac and Rebekah didn't trust each other. Jacob knew that his father wouldn't trust him because in verse 12, he says, Perhaps my father will feel me, then I will be a deceiver in his sight. Neither Jacob or Esau trusted each other. Where did this distrust come from? I think we know as we see Rebecca listening through the tent walls. This must have been a miserable family. Well, like Jacob, Rebecca's real failure was spiritual. She was right to cling to the promise of God and in her perception that Isaac was rejecting God's promise in favor of his favorite son. But her failure was in her lack of trust in God to bring about the blessing to Jacob in his own time and his way. Some say she had to choose the lesser of two evils. Either she had to do nothing and let the blessing go to Esau, or she had to do wrong to achieve a greater good. Some have compared her to Rahab, who lied to protect the two Jewish spies. But these two stories are different because Rebecca's dilemma was of her own making. The disposal of, of the blessing was God's matter and not hers she had no right to do evil that good might come and because of the way she did it god good did not come jacob did receive the blessing but the cost to jacob was 20 years of unexpected exile for which he was not prepared for by his sheltered life at home And in our group we talked about this too about how we we didn't get to see how god would have provided for jacob Isaac was about to give the blessing to Esau. If Rebekah had not intervened, God would have provided a way for Jacob to get that blessing. But we'll never know because she interfered. Just like God found a way for, he provided a ram for Abraham so he didn't have to sacrifice Isaac. That would have happened here. Now we'll never get to see how he would have done that. If you are not trusting God, and you are trying to do your own will instead of His, or even His will in your own way, know that the plottings of sin never work out, and the path it leads to is always rocky. When Moses killed the Egyptian, he had to flee for his life. God later delivered the Jewish people from their Egyptian bondage, but first Moses had to spend 40 years in the wilderness Waiting, learning to wait, upon God's timing. It's better to wait for God at the beginning. (laughs) Jacob's nervousness about his mother's plan was not for moral reasons. It was because he was afraid they may not pull off their scheme. He was afraid they would get caught. He feared the consequences of that. He didn't want to receive a curse instead of a blessing. But Rebecca said, have no fear, I'll take that curse for you. Can she do that? No. A blessing was not transferable, and neither was a curse. She might be referring to the consequences of the curse rather than the curse itself. So what she does is she brings the meal to perfection, and she disguises Jacob brilliantly. What they were doing was because they believed that God would not be able to accomplish his own purpose without their help. They believed they were helping God's revealed will all along and therefore their deceitful ways were justified in their eyes. Well similarly today, we believe that personal ethics are irrelevant if what you're doing helps to further God's will. But we must remember that Christian ethics charge us to remember the character of Christ which is holiness. Did Christ exist on earth in Genesis 27? no the ten commandments weren't around yet either but they knew that they were to be holy because god was holy they still knew better the path of sin is hard ladies and the pleasure of sin is never worth the price that must be paid for it sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. In this story, Jacob lied three times. First, he said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn, in verse 19. Then Jacob lied the second time when he named the Lord as the reason for his good hunting. He said, because the Lord your God granted me success, in verse 20. The third lie was when Isaac asked again, are you really my son Esau? And Jacob answered, I am. And upon the third lie, and after Jacob kissed his father, then came the blessing. See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. Dew is a favorite Hebrew metaphor for God's goodness in providing abundance and invigoration. Dew always provided the main source of water during the dry summer months. Dew, fatness and abundance meant to them refreshment and prosperity. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. Remember, Isaac thinks he's blessing Esau, and his pride in Esau demanded an empire for him. So here he is utterly rejecting God's word to Rebekah that the older shall serve the younger, and he's blessing Jacob with universal dominion and invoking protection. He had thwarted God, so Isaac thought. Jacob kind of slouches away in in excitement, oh, I've displaced Esau again. Well, there was gravity in that blessing. The words that pronounced a blessing were considered very sacred, especially if the father was quite old. This was an oath that was binding and could not be withdrawn or reversed. Blessing transferred leadership of the clan to the next generation. The privileged son, usually the oldest, was designated the administrator of the estate. The administrator had had significant control over the estate, kind of like if you have a a living trust, you have a trustee that that takes care of the trust in the event of the death of the person. If you have a will, you have an executor. That's kind of what we're talking about here, Okay, So he knew he would preside over sacrificial family meals, he would supervise burials and funerary rites, and he would serve as a kinsman redeemer. Jacob would have wanted this blessing because as the administrator, now don't miss this, it would give him authority to approve the timing for the division of the inheritance. If Esau was the administrator, Esau could delay the division of the inheritance indefinitely depriving Jacob of the double share of the inheritance. So Jacob wanted this. And last, a blessing was a proclamation of the destiny of the sons and an exercise of authority that was believed to be binding through the very speaking of the words. The power of the spoken word was such that it could not be unsaid. That's why Jacob excuse me, that's why Isaac knew he couldn't take it back. Even though it was clear to him that he had been tricked. Also a blessing was normally a celebratory occasion where the whole family was asked to be present as co-celebrants and witnesses to a legal transaction. It was a legal transaction. Now in this case it was done in secret because favoritism was involved. Well, Jacob had barely left the scene when Esau enters back. And when he revealed who he was to his father, Isaac trembled violently. This seismic shock tore through Isaac's body, signaling the failure of his opposition to the word of God. He had put his love for Esau above the will of God. Down fell his idol and his arrogant pride, which had planned to topple God's plans, but was broken beyond repair. He knew there was no taking back this blessing. What happened to Isaac was the realization that he had tried to box with God and failed, and he would always be defeated unless he surrendered his will to God. When Isaac thought God was out of the picture, he was there all along. He saw that in spite of his arrogance, that there was a divine will above his own. But following this brokenness of Isaac, there is a bright spot that stands out. God didn't leave him in that place. It was his willful blessing of Jacob, his willful blessing, as he told Esau, yes, and he shall be blessed. This is the conversion of Isaac, not from an unbeliever to a believer, but from going from the willful rejection of the decree of God to an obedient acceptance to it. Isaac had come out on the right side of God and God didn't forget that because in Hebrews 1120, the author says, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. Isaac fought God's will for 137 years, but once his will was broken, God saw the new Isaac and remembered his sins no more. Are you surrendered to God? Has your own will been broken? Before God's act of grace upon us, we have to have our own spiritual earthquake, the same way that Isaac experienced. If you are not God's, the earthquake will come and your own way will crash. And now for Esau, he's crying pitifully. Esau begs his father to bless him too, but there's nothing left for Esau but sort of an anti-blessing. Not really a curse because it assumes continuing existence and eventual freedom, but here's his blessing. Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve. But it shall come about, when you become restless, that you will break his yoke from your neck." Hardly a blessing. Esau's destiny was to be away from the blessings of the dew and fatness. His descendants would live by violence, and for a long time they would be subservient to Israel. Esau tried to get the blessing by one-upping his brother and going along with his father's plan, but Jacob and Rebekah outwitted him. Outwit, outplay, outlast, if you're a Survivor fan. Our hearts go out to him. We want to sympathize with him, but we shouldn't. What we are to learn is stated in Hebrews. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. In these verses, God does not call us to sympathize with Esau, but to learn from him. He's warning us that although God is exceedingly gracious, there's choices in life that can't be undone and consequences of sin that are unavoidable and long-lasting. If you reject the the grace of God in Christ now, you know that you will, who knows, that you will ever have again the opportunity to turn to him. If you reject the revealed will or word of God and do what you know to be wrong, who knows that you will ever have a chance to make that wrong right or avoid the destructive consequences that may follow. Tears mean nothing. Esau wept, but his tears were of frustrated selfishness and not of genuine regret for wrongs committed. The only true repentance is turning from sin to do what God desires. Three verses later in verse 41, he resolves to kill his brother Jacob. Some repentance. Like Esau, excuse me, like Isaac, Esau defied God. But unlike Isaac, He never learned to submit his will to him. He came to hate Jacob and God himself because by deciding to kill Jacob, what Esau was really saying was, God, you shouldn't have let Jacob do this to me. But since you did let him do it, I'm gonna take matters into my own hands and kill him. This is the malice in the voice of the devil. Well, Rebecca remained unchanged. When she hears of Esau's plot, to kill Jacob, she's determined to send Jacob to her brother Laban. But how's she going to get Isaac to agree to that? Well, she plays on his fears. She tells him that if they don't send Jacob, that he might marry a Hittite wife like Esau did. Well, there's fruits of deception and the first fruit of that is that Rebecca lost Jacob. She was forced to send her favorite son to Mesopotamia. She never saw him again. She expected Jacob's exile to be for just a few days, and she thought she'd be calling him home before long. But she never could because Jacob became Laban's slave. He was gone for 20 years, and during that time, Rebekah died. She thought she'd be paying just a small price for her sin. But the cost of sin is always greater than we could ever imagine it. Actually, the thing she feared the most came true. She feared losing both her sons, and this is exactly what happened. Jacob left, never to be seen by her again, and Esau went off to live in Edom. What is your greatest desire? You will lose it if you pursue it in your own way, instead of surrendering your will to God's. It's by losing your life that you will find it. The second result of Jacob and Rebekah's scheme is that Jacob was in turn even more cruelly deceived. As you will read in Genesis 29, Laban deceives him, costing him an extra wife and seven years of labor. He's deceived again years later when his sons lead him to believe that his favorite son, Joseph, was dead when they actually sold him into slavery. So do not take it lightly when God says, all who draw by the sword will die by the sword. If you hate, you will be hated. The third consequence is that Jacob was demoted to a position of servitude to Laban. Again, sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go, keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay, and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. Everyone in this family sought the blessings of God without bending the knee to God. This family was fraught with ambition, jealousy, envy, lying, deceit, coveting, malice, manipulation, stubbornness, and stupidity. Yes, sin is stupid, and everyone lost. All four tried to force God's will. But things that are forced break. When I was a little girl, I used to like to help my dad fix things around the house. And sometimes he would see me forcing something, and he'd raise his voice and say, don't force it, it's going to break. Things that are forced break. There are some things we can't force. We have to be patient and go about them the right way, and they will come, like sleep, love, career, peace, and life. If you try to force love, it'll feel unnatural and may even backfire on you. It also screams of desperation, which is unattractive. You can't force things in your career. Sometimes big opportunities take time to develop. They take patience to build. Forcing the issue when it's not ready can cause the opportunity to fall apart and go away. Determination is good, but it's not the same as forcing something. Determination is having a goal in mind with a plan, doing the necessary work and having patience until it comes together. Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. The results are up to God, not us. If you try to force success at anything, you'll only end up annoying people and closing doors that might have been open or opportunities you could have had. Life is one long series of events that can either turn out to be a blessing or ruined opportunities depending on how we treat them. If we wait on God, he could show us an outcome better than we could have imagined. But if we force issues, we ourselves may be that thing that breaks. Breaks have consequences. You can't force others when it comes to politics either. Laws can be made, but hearts won't change. A wise Biola professor and friend of mine once said, a person forced against his will is of the same opinion still. That's stuck in my head. We can't force people to do things. Being a control freak, like Rebecca, only leads to painful consequences. Anyone in here who has been or is a parent of a teenager or an adult child, and I know there's a lot of us, especially adult married children, know this. (laughs) You can control the rules in your own home, but you can't control what your child thinks, and you certainly can't control them when they're gone and married. To believe so is being delusional. We are not in control, and this passage proves it. The Lord will get his way, one way or another. We may think we beat him, but his plans can't be thwarted. Having control issues is really a byproduct of other deeper issues. Needing to control shows a lack of trust in God. Not believing in God's promises or that he'll answer prayer. It's also a sign of arrogance. Nobody can take care of this matter like I can. I can do this better than anyone else. This is a form of idolatry, where you are the idol. And an idol is something that is opposed to the true and living God. Listen to what Ezekiel says about idolatry in Ezekiel 14. He says that idols will ultimately estrange you from God. An idol is a matter of the heart. It's not just a statue or a block of stone, but something that gets erected in your heart that can either potentially hurt your relationship with God or estrange you from God. It's something that you elevate above God or or you try to worship it alongside God. John Calvin said the heart of a man is a perpetual idol-making factory. Idolatry can sneak up on you. Just when you thought you were free of them, you can make an idol out of anything. In Numbers 25, Israel was constantly being tempted to give in to the idols around them. But let's remember that above all, God kept his word despite the prevailing unbelief and unfaithfulness of his people. Thank God that his faithfulness does not depend on ours. God will see to it that his people are sanctified The earthquake in Isaac's life called him back to a life of faith. Amidst our sin and our stupidities, the invincible determination of God is set to bring us to completion, even when we resist it. If we're faithless, he still remains faithful. Are you playing games with God's word? attempting to control its application? Are you engaging in unrighteous means to bring about its righteous end? If so, you need to stop it. Give up and say, Lord, your will be done. There's freedom in that. Freedom is not found in autonomy. Our quest for autonomy is what enslaves us. God provides us with true freedom to see who and what we were intended to be. In John 8 Jesus says if you abide in my word you truly are my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free would you bow your heads with me Lord there was so much in this lesson for us to learn about trusting you and and being control freaks and we've all done it we all can relate to it and what I said here Comes off the tongue easy, but it's not easy to do. We all know it. So I ask that you uh, come alongside us, that your Holy Spirit will remind us what we've learned in this lesson, and that you will give us the strength and trust, help us in our unbelief, help us to lean on you and grab on you and cling to you, when we have trials in our life. And remember that if we jump the gun and try to do what Rebecca did, we're going to miss the blessing. We're going to see, we're going to miss how you could, could have provided. Help us to remember that, Lord. Go with us this week. Um, keep us all healthy and safe as we go about our, our daily routines. Bless the ladies on Monday night. And we ask all this in your son Jesus' name, amen.